Welcome to Podcasts, recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone, and happy Sunday. For the next six sessions, we're going to be working through Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements. Maybe about five years ago, we breezed our way through this book. The reason I've chosen it to to help us right now is I think you're going to discover a couple of these agreements America has turned upside down for a bit. And so um, maybe I'm one of those wishful, hopeful people, but I'm thinking that this might just be the antidote, at least our personal antidote, to some of the trouble that we're seeing on in the world. I think we'll connect some dots that might be surprising and helpful with what's going on in America right now. Where we need to start, though, I think is the basics of the book, the the background of the book. And, And of course, he portrays it as Toltec wisdom, and by that, the heritage of his father as a healer in the Toltec mystical tradition. And so this book is certainly mystical. You'll get that if you're, if you're following along or choose to discuss it in your connection circles. Uh, but I also would like to bring a practicality to it. And so certainly beginning next week, as we take on these four agreements, uh, uh, you'll see we're going to do a very practical job of applying the mysticism in our own lives. But back to the mysticism. He starts with a story that I want to share with you. And so the story is that a few thousand years ago, a wise Toltec shaman went into a cave with the purpose of discovering the secret of life. And so here's what he shares. This is what the shaman discovered. Everything in existence is a manifestation of the one living being that we call spirit or God. Everything is God. And he came to the conclusion that human perception is merely light perceiving light. He also saw that matter is only a mirror, that everything is a mirror that reflects the light and creates images of that light. So our, our world of reality is an illusion, is a dream is a reflection of our consciousness. This realization changed his life. Once he knew what he really was, he looked around at other humans and the rest of nature, and he was amazed by what he saw. He saw himself in everything, in every human, in every animal, in every tree, in the water, in the rain, in the clouds, in the earth. Everything that he saw was part of himself. And he realized that everyone was dreaming, often without awareness, without knowing what they truly were. They couldn't see him as themselves because there was a wall of fog or smoke between the mirrors. That wall of fog was made by the interpretation of our images of light, also called the dream of humanity. So I want to talk about this fundamental idea of the dream of humanity. And he says, and we'll have to talk a little bit about this, I think, to get the full understanding here. He says it's based 
on thousands of agreements that we have made over the centuries to be in harmony with one another. So let me give you the definition of what he says is this idea of an agreement. An agreement is a negotiated and typically binding arrangement between parties as to a course of an action. Oh my gosh, it sounds like a lawyer was involved in this, <laughs> doesn't it? Let me read it one more time. It's a negotiated and typically binding arrangement between parties as to a course of action. Well, I think the reason it sounds like a lawyer wrote it is we make legal arrangements like that, don't we? If you signed a, a lease agreement on an apartment or if you bought a car or something like that, there is that agreement that we make. We're going to get the apartment and we swear, you know, I'm going to pay every month and there's a cleaning fee and, and you're going to honor the agreement too. If it's really clean when I leave, I'll get the cleaning fee back and so on and so forth. That, that is the nature of an agreement that we're pretty familiar with. The subtext of this book, though, is almost everything that we do is based on some kind of an agreement, not unlike that agreement. Trouble is, most of the time, we're not even aware that we're buying into the agreement. And he, he gives us a variety of examples. And, and let's start with the most straightforward example, and then we'll get into some of the hairier ones. Uh, so the, the first example are examples of agreements we have made just to get things done in the world. And my, my favorite example of that is, well, here in America, we drive on the right side of the road. And that's an agreement, right? Now, did you actually have to sign on for that anywhere? No. And most of us weren't specifically even told that either, were we? We just observe that when we've been in cars and buses, everyone drives on the right-hand side. And, and unless we're very confused or, or our consciousness is uh, impaired, we don't have to keep thinking about that. Oh, I need to be on the right-hand side. Oh, I need to be on the right-hand side, right? It's just internalized in us. We were either trained that or we observed that as an early age. There's no question about it. Well, no question about it until you go to England, like I did this last year. <laughs> I remember we were there for a week on a conference, and then we were staying for another week, and people said, well, you should get a car and drive around. And I was like, I'm not that brave. Uh, but, the, but the woman that I was with, she rented the car. And I got to tell you, we were in the car for about 10 minutes, and we got into a fender bender. If you think about it, though, 30 years of driving became natural to her. We just drive on the right. And so she's concentrating. You could almost see her furrowed brow. Okay, we're driving on the left. We're driving on the left. I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Oh, heck, we're getting to a roundabout. Now, how do the rules around a roundabout work? Uh-huh. And she did so good until she exited the roundabout onto a street and force of habit, she exited and was in the incorrect lane. Minor fender bender. How many of the agreements that you have made in the course of your lifetime are just that automatic. Now I've given an example of one, what he would call one of the agreements we make just to get things done. There are also agreements on how to get along. 
And here's where things start getting a little bit hairier, right? Certainly those of us who have been around for a while on the planet have maybe noticed that what were considered to be manners as we were children, for instance, the agreements that we made with our parents that maybe uh, young people should be seen and not heard so much, or that we respect our elders, or, or that we'd never interrupt anyone who's speaking. At least those were some of the uh, agreements that I inherited. Now, I'm not going to say I made that agreement. My mom never came up to me and said, now, Larry, do you agree not to interrupt adults, <laughs> right? It wasn't the kind of agreement that I participated in in a knowingful way. It was simply said, this is the way we behave. This is the way young people behave. Guess what happens when you disobey or break one of those agreements? Now, keep in mind, it's not an agreement that I even particularly endorsed. But when you break an agreement, you're the outlier. You're the rebel. And often you will be treated that way. In the case of people violating a, a society's norm, for instance, you're apt to be treated with some contempt. Oh, her? She always interrupts people. Oh, him? I don't know what's up with him. In fact, some of the norms that we have o over the years, some of them, of course, still make great sense. It's how we get along in the world. Some of them probably make no sense at all. Let me throw out another of society's norms that I think will really irritate the heck out of some of you. <laughs> how are women supposed to behave? <laughs> you knew I was going to go there, didn't you? You knew I was going to go there, right? So there was a time in America in the 50s where the little woman stayed home and took care of the household things. Doesn't that just rankle now, right? <laughs> uh, it's like I'm getting the daggers from some of you. And yet at the time, that was an agreement that people bought into. People say my mom's age didn't see anything particularly wrong with that at all. It was an agreement handed down by her mother and her mother before her and the men in society wanting things to be the way that the men in society wanted things and everybody sort of more or less except for some of the wonderful outliers at the time <laughs> agreed that that's the way it would be. And I say those wonderful outliers, and, and right, there are some really strong women in history that did not play that game, and yet weren't many of them held up in a very negative way because of that. There was a price to pay for not honoring these agreements. So there are agreements that we make just to get along, like driving on the right-hand side of the road, uh, like observing traffic signals, like some of the legal and, and social agreements that we have made. They're just necessary to transact how properties exchanged and things like that. We've also talked about some of the agreements that just have arised with people getting along, sometimes good, sometimes limiting the third kind of agreement that he talks about are agreements that we have made with ourselves. Let me use an example from my life. So when I was in third grade, it was all about craft projects. I don't even know if that was something that one of my teachers, Mrs. Byerly, just 
enjoyed herself. And so uh, at least once or twice a week, we'd have some marvelous craft project, some art project that we'd work on, or if that was just curriculum at third grade in, in, in Newport, Oregon. But I remember being so proud at one particular art project that I worked on. And it was, it was on one of those uh, kind of light cardboard things. And we'd gone on a field trip down to the beach and collected little shells and little agates and little pieces of driftwood. And then they gave us vats of uh, Elmer's glue and away we went. And I remember being just like prouder than anything. I had constructed a butterfly and it was just fabulous. I mean, it was, it, well, it was, hey, now don't you diss me. <laughs> it really was. I mean, I, I can still see it in my mind. And I brought it home and my mother put it up on the refrigerator because that's one of the agreements that mothers and children had at least then, and I hope it's actually kind of true now, that, that we honor the little efforts that our young ones come home. And so that agreement was honored, and, and I was glad to see it up on the refrigerator because it was fabulous. <laughs> but then about three days later, it was gone. And my mother never said really anything about it other than just putting it up on the refrigerator for a couple days. And so I started making an agreement with myself that probably arts and crafts was not my thing. Because if it was my thing, my mom would have praised it a little bit because that was the agreement we had. And so because the agreement between my mother and I wasn't working out to my, do you see the layers of these agreements that we put on each other? Because my agreement that I thought my mother and I had wasn't working out, that was my permission to understand that I was not a good artist, that I was not a very creative person. And so my agreement with myself was to concentrate on things that I was a little better at. And if you would have asked me, I probably wouldn't have necessarily condemned my efforts, you know, my third grade efforts, but I probably would have said, well, I, I probably have other things that I will excel at. Based on like one thing, I changed my worldview of myself. I made a new agreement with myself. So how many agreements do you think you have with yourself? Thousands? Yeah. Maybe 10,000? Nearly everything that you believe to be true about yourself is just something you made up. It's an agreement that you made with yourself based on input that is just a fabrication of the world. Now let's upscale that. That was, a, that was a personal agreement that I made by myself. Up-level that to something like the nature of the human form compared to beauty in the world today. Do you see how damaging it is that we, as a society, look at men and women, their faces and their bodies, and some of them are beautiful and handsome and others are not? 
Not too long ago, I had the honor of going to a museum that had a lot of replicas of famous statues. And, and I was in the, the part of the museum where they were featuring busts and figures from ancient Rome. And I finally went up to one of the docents and I said, so is it just me or all of these guys kind of ugly? And the docent laughed a little bit. Obviously, he was more up on ancient history than I did. And he said, well, what you're noticing is the Roman nose. And I said, what? He said, oh, it was considered handsome for men at that time to have very large, prominent noses. And that was a symbol of beauty and stature. And of course, I'm looking at these going, uh, okay, (laughs) right? Because we are trained to believe that standards of beauty are the way they are right now. If you go back even a hundred years ago, for instance, women were expected to be fairly ample. Today, we're imagining women should be like size zero and things like that, right? Makes no sense at all. And yet, haven't you all felt the power of that agreement? Whether we're a man or a woman, we get ready for spring and bathing suit weather, and it doesn't matter who you are, what sex you are, or what age you are, we're all making up a story that we're not good enough to enjoy ourselves in our swimming outfits. Do you see how negative, almost punitive, some of these agreements are. So where do we start with this? Well, first of all, we don't have a lot of power over what society's agreements are. But we do have a lot of power over the agreements that you have made with your own friends and family. And we do have complete control over the agreements that you have made with yourself. And so this month, we're going to be talking in particular about these areas, what we can do about them. And starting next week, we're going to even introduce the idea of four particular agreements that if we're willing to take them on, and if we're even willing to take them on as a group and, uh, and kind of use them as a spiritual practice with each other, they are four meta-agreements that will take care of a lot of trouble in our own lives and in the world. So I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna do well on that. But what do all of these agreements together produce? It's what Don Miguel Ruiz says is the dream of the world. And I have a joke about dreams that I think would be important right now. So a man goes to see a professional. He says, every night I go to sleep and I dream of a group of cats playing soccer in a stadium. Now, I don't really know what it means, uh, and I love soccer, but I hate cats. Can we do something about this? Well, says the psychologist, I'm not sure what your dream exactly means either, but if, if this dream is bothering you so much, I can give you some ideas that will put a stop to this particular dream. Well, that's great, said the man, but uh, mm, uh, is it okay if we wait for about a week? Wait, why do you want to wait a week? Well, the cats are in their finals. (laughs) Yeah. What you're going to observe is that you have an attachment to your dreams. You'll have an attachment to these agreements you have made, even the negative ones. 
Not too long ago, I was riding the, the MAX train. Uh, we were headed out to the, the Expo Center, and there's a, the other end of the Milwaukee train is not too far from our house. So it was a, a straight shot, no parking. It's like great day on the MAX train. And we got on, and we noticed in the back, there were some people, shall we say, not following the norms of being on mass transit. First of all, if you've been on MAX lately, there are selected areas for seniors and people with disabilities that they're asked to honor. And, and, and about partway along, someone who needed that level of assistance got on, and there were a group of kids sitting in the, the designated spots for seniors and people with disabilities. And, and it was so interesting to watch because so many people, you could just tell on the train, were very uncomfortable with that. They could see that an agreement was being dishonored. And yet, there's also an agreement to keep to yourselves when you're on public transit, right? And so what was going on was that dissonance of people seeing that one agreement was dishonored, but not wishing to dishonor another agreement of keeping to yourself. And so it was like everyone was like frozen. <laughs> it was like, ur, 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 ur. <laughs> finally, I got up and, you know, not wanting to make a big to-do with the, the folks seated in the inappropriate area, I simply helped the elder to a nice chair because she needed a little steadying as as we went there. So, phew, problem solved. But do you see the issue here? Many of our agreements will hold us in a place of inaction and frozenness because when we start wanting to violate them, like getting up and helping someone on a bus, even though that feels good from the place of altruism, we're also trying to violate the rule of everybody deserves their space on the bus, let's not make a fuss, which is also an agreement. You are going to run into that when you start trying to make changes in your agreements. You will see that many of them are tied together and whether they're agreements that maybe keep you down or agreements that are holding your family in an uneasy place, the trouble is you start tugging at one and you will see a variety of others that step forward to try and reinforce the one that you've got. I have some magic for you, though. The magic is a single word, and it's called renegotiation. Yeah. The power of renegotiation is that you're simply just not giving up on an agreement. When you give up on an agreement, let's say your family has an agreement that you're poor but you're proud. And that involves, we don't need to be well-educated, we can't afford to be educated, we may not have good jobs, but gosh darn it, we're good, solid Americans and we're proud of ourselves. It's a beautiful agreement, and do you see how it might hold the younger generation back from getting a good job or from becoming better educated? So it's time for a renegotiation. Yes, Dad, I'm proud of this family, too. When I think where we have come from with very little money and very edu little education, I am so proud, too. And wouldn't it be wonderful if someone in this family broke through that barrier? Do you see the seeds of renegotiation here? You probably have agreements that you have made with your friends and your family that unknowingly are keeping you frozen in time. 
and it is time to renegotiate. I think that any time one of these agreements is made based on fear, it probably isn't a good agreement to have made. Let me give you some examples. If you're afraid of lack, if you're afraid of not having enough, you are probably making agreements that will somehow make you and people like you come out on top. If there's limited resources, if there's lack in the world, in order for you to have enough, somebody has to not have enough. And we will start making agreements and stories individually and collectively on who those people should be so that we can come out on top. In society, that's where redlining comes from. In, a, in America, that's where, where treating minorities poorly comes from. It's from the fear that there isn't going to be enough going around. And I want to make sure the people that I know and I love and look like me and act like me, the people in my circle, do have enough. You see what a terrible agreement this is? And, and, I, and I don't want to imply that it wasn't created out of wholeness. I mean, it was created out of the idea. I want to make sure that my family has enough. But that idea of competition, we all have to fight for resources, that there must be those who don't have in order so that we can have, that is based on fear, and it has created a number of society's agreements to the detriment of all of us. I'll I'll use a personal example here. So my mom born in 1929. Guess what happened literally the month that my mother was born? Yeah, the Great Depression. The Great Depression. She literally was born into a family that for many years struggled to have enough food on the table. So when my mom was 70 and we were packing up the old house so that she could downsize into an apartment, do you know what the biggest thing was for her? Where am I going to put all of my canned food and pantry items? Because I need to have at least six months worth of food on hand. She had made a personal agreement with herself and her family that they would never go without food. And the way that she could keep that promise, she thought to herself was, well, I need to see the food. (laughs) It's got to be here somewhere. That was the hardest thing about helping my mom move into a manageable-sized apartment was her being willing to give up that agreement. And we literally had to approach it from that idea of renegotiation. So, so mom, what would it take you to feel okay knowing that that need would be satisfied without having all the food around? Would it be an account with the taxi service in town that anytime you needed to go to the store, they'd pick you up and you could go shopping? No, 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 no. That would be frivolous. That would be wasting my money on the taxi, right? I mean, it was all about all of these negotiations. And finally, we came up with something that would work for her. But it had to be like a renegotiation because it really was important to her to know that she would never have to go without food again. That was like such a thing when she was a child. So are you ready for a little renegotiation? Let me lay out your homework for this first week. The first week, I think this is hopefully going to be easy for you. 
look into your own life and see what agreements have been made that you find binding. Agreements that really don't suit you anymore. Now they may be family agreements. They may be personal agreements that you have with a loved one. Or they may be some of those agreements made out of fear. Fear of not having enough. Fear of not being loved enough. Fear of not being heard or understood. I remember having a great aunt that had to have the TV on all the time. All the time. It was a fear of loneliness. It was a fear of not having people around her that provided care and love. And to her, she would talk about, well, I can't miss my stories. (laughs) They were her friends, those people. Dr. Kildare was a personal friend of hers. Uh, And I'm not making that up. And so what beliefs, what agreements have you made in your own lives that really aren't serving you anymore. So that's your homework for this week. Next week we're going to start talking about not only taking on some new agreements that you'll find healthy and helpful, but also some techniques for releasing and renegotiating some of these old agreements that might be keeping you in a place of fear. Make sense? So I'm going to close with a final quote from uh, the four agreements here and uh, a prayer. He says, if we can see it is our agreements which rule our life, and if we don't like the dream of our life, we need to change the agreements. When we're finally ready to change our agreements, there are four very powerful agreements that will help us break through. You need a very strong will in order to adopt the four agreements, but if you can begin to live your life with these new agreements, the transformation in your life will be amazing. Instead of living in a dream of hell, you will be creating a new dream, your personal dream of heaven. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, and one goodness. Only this one consciousness, God truly everywhere present, in, around, and through my life and everyone's life. And I know that God is also in the agreements that I have been made. I know that these were set up for reasonable reasons at the time, handed down uh, unbeknownst to me from my elders and their elders and their elders, all with good intentions, I'm sure. And I know that it is within my own heart to begin looking at these agreements to see if they still apply to me. And so I fall back on some of those essential truths of love, of peace, of harmony, and joy. And as the agreements are in alignment with these essential truths, these meta-truths, I know those agreements are good and honorable and a pleasure to take part in. But I also check in to see if some of the agreements I have been made are in alignment with fear and lack some of the negative beliefs that I have inherited, some of the negative agreements that have been made for me and given to me. And I say, perhaps it's time to renegotiate. And so on this day and for each day forward, I recognize that I will be a little better, a little more critical, a little more evaluative of the things that I believe to be true and the things that I believe to be good. 
and I have a willingness to begin renegotiating some of those beliefs, some of those agreements. As it is true for me, I know it, it can be true for everyone. Each of us can play along with this idea of the dream of the world and making it truly a dream of heaven, a place where the agreements we make hold up rather than tear down, a, a place where the agreements we made are based in love, in peace, in joy, and wholeness. And I know that there's a willingness on everyone's part to begin participating in the renegotiation process, the healing of this planet. For this, I give great thanks. I, I release my prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. That law that always says yes, that law that is always willing to accept a new agreement. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.